So again, that's the 25 proofs of the humanity of Christ and the Bible list. And so we've been just going down these various topics as they appear in Scripture or as they appear in these lists, I guess. And then sometimes I branch out of that. But um, last week we were looking at the feasts of the Lord and we studied those seven feasts. And there's still some of those... um, uh, papers that we had last week floating around, I think, out in the... In the and I, I got a lot of good feedback from uh, many of you that said that was really helpful because uh, going through those uh, kind of present the prophecies concerning those feasts and what they were all about and what they are about. And uh, that's all good. So anyways, that's available both online and, and also um, in print form here. Tonight, we're talking about the proofs of the humanity of Christ. Now, this hopefully... Uh, will be followed by a study on the deity of Christ and the proofs of the deity of Christ from Scripture. And so we're going to go down through that, and I'm going to look at an attribute of such and then a verse that goes with it. And I would just say in the beginning of this, even before we look into this, that this aspect of uh, who Jesus is and that he is fully man or human Uh, is important and it is unique in the sense that Christianity, among all the world beliefs and religions out there, is unique in that we believe that God came down and put on flesh and yet did not lose his deity in doing so and yet was fully human. And there's a little bit different. Now you say there's other worldviews out there that might incorporate something similar. And if you look at the ancient Greeks, a lot of their gods that they had, plural gods, were just glorified men and women and some in very weird you know myths associated with that but they they didn't have an aspect of holiness to them they were nothing more really than the constructs of imagination and 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 a lot of times just projecting our own weaknesses and failures and moral failures as well on something apart from us and and if you study ancient greek mythology and a lot of that uh, it's an attempt, I think, to answer some of the basic questions of, that all of us have, and yet groping in darkness. And uh, Paul confronted that head-on in Athens when he went there, and, and he said, I, I perceive, you're very, perceive you're very religious or superstitious. And he had gone through that marketplace and seeing all the temples and structures dedicated to the various gods. And then he said, he came to the one even of the unknown God, and it was there that, Jesus, that Paul preaches to the Athenians about Jesus, who he was. And he says, him whom you ignorantly worship, I declare unto you. And I, I love that uh, whole dialogue that Paul does after that. And he presents Christ. He presents the the creator god who he is and what he's like and that god put on flesh he came to us and he died <clears throat> not only dying but also being resurrected and it was the resurrection that many had a stumbling block at and <clears throat> pardon me <clears throat> um he also uh, th- this whole idea of the humanity of christ answers a lot of the questions and gives us a savior that we can relate to and I think that's important. <clears throat> it, was, it was Billy Graham uh, in one of his books or something I read years ago. And he was using an illustration of when his, his son, Franklin, was very young. I think it was Franklin. And they were walking along and, and they stepped in an anthill. And as he stepped in that anthill, of course, if you've ever done that, 
Um, it's not a pleasant place to stay, but I'm saying if you step in one, it's total chaos for the ants, you know. You've just disturbed their home, and uh, you look down, and he said, you look down, and there were wounded ants, and there were ants that were scurrying about, and there were theirs trying to grab their, their larvae, and, and they were taking those back underground, and it was just a disaster. And his son said to him, he said, Dad, it's too bad we couldn't, we couldn't uh, help them. And he said, to help the ant, you'd have to become an ant. And, you know, he said that's really what Jesus did is that in our world of chaos that sin created and we were partakers of that, God sent forth his son. And in doing so, he was able to be our savior. He had to take on humanity. So that's a very, very important doctrine and study of the faith. So we're going to look at that tonight. Um, Hopefully get down through all 25. Pardon me as I'm very dry today. I don't know. It's just getting that. I don't know. It rained all day, so it's not that. Just need to drink more water. Uh, <clears throat> now, number one, and before we get started on this, let's commit this again to the Lord here. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we open it up and we look at this topic tonight, I, I pray it might encourage us. It might help us to better understand our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you left the glories of heaven to condescend to our realm, being made lower than the angels, having taken on flesh, and humbling yourself even unto obedience and the obedience of death, the obedience of the cross. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray tonight you would help us as we open up your book again. In Jesus' name, amen. We have uh, these proofs. Proof number one, he had... A human parentage. Now that would be the first thing. You'd say if someone is human, um, he would have to have parents, right? And we know from scripture, indeed, Jesus had parents. And of course, his mother being part of the biological part of that, in that she, uh, in the virgin's womb, was prepared the Lord Jesus, his body. And uh, the Old Testament also said of that. In Luke one thirty one, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He had human parents. In Galatians chapter 4, we read of more of this. <clears throat> and this comes is an interesting verse, because it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And you see, the realm from which the Son of God comes is from eternity past. And it says, God sent forth His Son. But when He sent forth the Son, who's always been the Son, He's eternally the Son, that's His deity, He was born of a woman. God put Himself into our history. And He was time date stamped with a birth and a birthday. And he was born under the law. Not only the law of God, but put himself under the law of man. And the laws of nature. He who made everything puts himself in the realm where he was controlled by those same laws. And the laws of nature, like the law of gravity or or whatever else. He did that. And just think about those things. But anyways, that goes with the idea that he had human parentage. He had a human body. We know that from... Matthew chapter 26. 
It says, for in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And there's many verses we could look at at the body of Christ. Um, it's in Zechariah, right? Thou hast prepared a body for me, a prophetic view of the preparation of the body of Christ. But here you have the anointing of Jesus's body and uh, that would be the only time someone would anoint his body because remember when he died and they went to do that on that early morning he was risen already and they never had an opportunity and I've said this many times but you better anoint the living Jesus because you'll never find a dead one and uh, uh, this dear lady got it right when she poured out that fragrant oil upon the body of Jesus he looked um, he looked like a man. That's another thing. Um, he would say, you know, did he look like a ghost or some kind of, you know, alien of, of, of our imagination or something like that? No, he looked like a man. We find that in the dialogue of John 4, 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew? He not only looked like a man, he looked like a Jew. And I don't know, you know, I'm not characterizing that. I mean, but this Samaritan looked at him and she classified him. She said, you're a Jewish man. Ask a drink, uh, he says, um, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And we know that he looked like that and in, in full appearance, and we'll look further at what that entails. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 34, we know that he possessed flesh and blood. That would be another test of proof, right? If he indeed was um, human, he would have to have flesh and blood. Because you have flesh and blood, I have flesh and blood. <clears throat> he wasn't just some apparition or some, some spirit that uh, appeared as a man, but was indeed substance. It says, And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. And Why? Look what it says, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The only way that God could destroy death and the devil in the victory of that is to have himself put on flesh and die. There was no other way. And that's extremely important. And by the way, this answers a lot of the, the false teachings that arose early on, in right after the time of Christ, the, the Gnostics would come and... and uh, and they, they taught things like the flesh is bad and therefore God could not put on flesh because he would have been putting on sin. And that's not a proper teaching of, of the incarnation at all. He put on flesh so that he could be a savior of people among us, our race of people. And he had to do that. Um, he couldn't do it any other way. How about... Um, he possessed flesh. He had to grow. Not only was he conceived in a virgin's womb, but he would have had to go through all those stages of development in the womb and then the, his birth and then his growing up years. In Luke chapter 2, verse 40, it says, The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That's a, a characteristic of what it says of the child, Jesus, as he grew. And he became strong. You know, he wasn't immediately in the flesh strong when he was born. He would have been weak like any other baby is weak. 
and totally, utterly dependent upon those around him to care for him. And, and I, just the thought of that, that God would put himself in a, such a humbling situation to be totally cared for by someone else. That's the great Christmas story, isn't it? And as he grew, he became strong in spirit. That's the, the part of him that would worship, filled with wisdom. He had to learn. You know, I often think about it. He who the Bible says of Christ eternally is wisdom for us. He's the fullness of the wisdom of God. And yet when he took on flesh and became a baby, it's not that he had no wisdom anymore. He gave up the use of all that knowledge and wisdom, which is infinite, to the will of the Father. That's part of that theological, uh, the, the kenosis, the it's often called the emptying, but it isn't really an emptying. He didn't become less God. But he gave over the use of all that to the will of the Father. And, and that's why when Jesus was here on earth, it, you have verses like this that say he, he was filled with wisdom. He had to, and the idea is that he's growing in wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. And of course, that is true too, just like us. I'm glad the grace of God is upon us as well. Verse, uh, what, where is that one? He grew. He had questions. In Luke chapter 2, verse 46, it says, Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. I like that. Here's Jesus. He's listening to the rabbis. And he's asking them questions. Now, he could have indeed been asking them questions that helped probe their understanding. There's some, I think I, I uh, looked at lists there of questions that Jesus asked. I think just in the Gospels, um, mostly all in the Gospels, that's the record of Jesus' life here on earth mostly, but he asks a 307 questions, I think, something like that. Now, some of them are duplicates in other Gospels, but Jesus loved to ask questions. But do you realize when he grew up, he would have had to ask questions? If indeed he gave himself to the will of the Father, and, and as a child he would have had to go on to school, he would have had to learn arithmetic, and he would have had to learn how to measure things, and he would have learned how to speak and talk. And you'd say, well, that should have all been there already. Did he just put that on as a facade? No. He did it in that, and according to Philippians, true, he emptied, he emptied himself, he humbled himself, uh, and made himself of no reputation in that way. Part of that wasn't just a show, but it was in reality. He would have had to grow. He would have had to um, do that. Now, um, asking questions. I, I want to know what he asked. Man, that would have been good to sit there and here's this child asking the doctors of the law questions. And they marveled, the Bible says, at, that he had such wisdom. Of course, right? How about verse chapter 2, verse 52? He increased in wisdom. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He grew up. Just like, you know, I mean, that's what you had to do too. If you were a child or are a child or whatever, you, you grow. And I, I think of that when our grandsons come over. Um, I got to start it when I was with my granddaughter because she's standing up and taking a few steps now. But I have a, a support pole in the basement. And on that support pole, we've marked their heights and a date 
and and now every few months when they show up um, they want to be measured again and they keep creeping up and you know I was really surprised how tall Levi is now uh, and and he's growing in that you know his stature I'm praying as well he continues to grow in his his wisdom and wisdom in particular with God um, because those little eyes and ears and, and brains of understanding are, are growing and developing and may they see Christ Jesus had to grow he prayed now why would God have to pray right now in the morning having, ris- having risen a long while before daylight he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed and, and we know that that was routine there's many verses that indicate that um, chapter 11 of Luke now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when his, he, he ceased that one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples there was something about the prayers of Jesus that, that provoked his disciples to want to pray too and I could say more about that but you know what, our prayer lives really are often what limit us in how we disciple others. In, in that sense that um, here's Jesus, infinite you know, wisdom and prayer and everything. Can you imagine what Jesus, the way he prayed? I'm sure he prayed some of the routine prayers that the Jews were taught and had to learn and would have done that. But then praying to his father, here are his disciples, they're they're listening in on some of that. Lord, teach us to pray. And he does. Teaches them. Matthew 4.1, he was tempted. Again, showing another proof of his humanity. That's number nine. He was tempted. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, some have asked, um, you know, well, why would God put himself in that position to be tempted? And, and I believe the scripture is clear that God could not sin. Jesus could not sin. It, as such, the, the disciples you know, testify of that. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him there was no sin. But yet he would go out into the wilderness and there he would be tempted by the devil. And I, again, I find that early. It's, again, it's right after the baptism of Christ. The very next event in his ministry of, you know, is, is a temptation that goes on. And Jesus uses the same tools available to keep that temptation away that we have. And it's the word of God. Aren't you glad for that? He answers Satan with the word of God. He could have just gone poof and he would have left if he wanted him to. But instead he uses what I have available and you have available, the Bible. And that was part of it. But Jesus could not have been tempted in in human temptations unless he was human Hebrews 2.18 for in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is also able to aid those who are tempted that's another reason I'm glad see this world is filled with a lot of suffering and pain and um, you know sometimes you just have to look to him because you'll never find anybody else that suffered as much as Jesus did. And I have prayed with people that at times there's occasions that have risen where someone is in just tremendous pain. Sometimes nearing death. 
And, and I've encouraged believers especially to say, you know, things like, like try to focus on Jesus at this time because he's the only one that knows what you're really going for, going through. And I, I do believe that helps people. It, it, I believe it would help me in the situation like that of realizing that Jesus endured this. He knows what it is like to feel temptations of all sorts. Thank you, Lord. And yet without sin, right? Hebrews 4.15, where it says, we, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, there's, there's this thing we always say that, you know, have you walked in that person's shoes? Uh, generally, we all have common experiences, but there are times when we really haven't walked in someone else's shoes because we're just not that person or haven't had the circumstances like that. And occasionally I'll run into somebody and, 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 and I'll say, wow, I never knew someone could live in a life like that. And it just blows me away. And, and it makes me thankful for what I have. But I often think, you know, how would I, who has never experienced some of this that I just witnessed, how could I sympathize with someone like that? I, I can do it sort of by just projecting myself, thinking, what would I do in this situation? But I really have never felt some of those things, you know, in, in occasions. And there's times I have certain experiences, and then, yeah, you can easily, you know, share your sympathies, but it's a lot harder. But Jesus has. He has felt every single human emotion he's felt every single need that has ever risen and he's been tempted every way and yet without sin that's the difference between him and me right because often sin arises when we're tempted or when we are pressed in pain all of a sudden we realize what's really in our hearts right better move along here Hebrews 5.8, he learned obedience. That's what the Bible says. It says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And, and what it means here in the context is, though he was God, the son, eternal, yet in human form, he had to learn obedience of suffering. That's the connection there. He would have had to go through the pains of suffering and death to do it for well as the book of Philippians says um, and I'll, I'll turn to that one because this kind of parallels that Philippians 2 5 let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus so that's important you want your mind like Christ listen up who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God because he was God right but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Not just the likeness as in appearance, but the exact replication. That's what the word likeness means. He is the express image of man. In other words, fully human. <clears throat> and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. There it is again. To the point of death, even the death of the cross. Do you think that when Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane being pressed beyond measure, so much so that his sweat was mingled with blood, and fear rose in his heart? The word agony that is used uh, to describe that time, him being in agony, it's the idea of arising 
fear and trepidation that occurs when you're facing death. Um, there's a fear that arises. Do you think it was possible that Jesus would have liked to in just like get up and run away and say, I don't need to do this. He didn't need to do it. That, that was in his heart in the sense of rising fear that would have gripped him in that. But yet he didn't sin and yield to the fear and to the pain and the suffering. He learns obedience. He becomes humble into the very point, obedience to the point of death. And that, in, in that way, he becomes our savior, right? Even the death of the cross, which that's just like the subtitle to the worst death, right? The death of the cross. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. He hungered. See, you have to be a human being to get hungry. Right? Shut my phone down here and all that. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. And then in Matthew 21, 18, now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry. Um, <laughs> I think about that, that Jesus got up in the morning and he started walking and he would have said, hey, let's go to Tim's, you know, I'm hungry. Or he would have said, let's go get some breakfast, right? I mean, he was hungry and he had to eat. He who could make bread out of stones, right? I mean, he could do that, but no. He went and willingly put himself under all this. He thirsted. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied, and I would add before thirst, he was tired from his journey, and thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour, noon, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Wow. Thank you, Guy, for giving me a drink tonight. You know, I get thirsty. I get tired. I get all those things. But I, I'm not Jesus, and I'm never, <laughs> I want to be like him, but, but I'm human. And I have a Savior who knows what it's just like to do that. Think when Jesus preached all day long that he probably wished he had a drink in front of him somewhere. A lot of days, probably. Why? Because he was human. Or just walking those dusty trails. You get thirsty and tired. Matthew 8.24. <clears throat> and he got tired, uh, weary, and then sleep. He needed sleep. And at the end of that, we know the story of them in the boat. And I, that verse, but he was asleep. How is it that God would need to sleep? Because he was fully man. We get tired and we need our rest. Sometimes it's in the middle of a storm. Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. He felt emotion like love. Then Jesus, looking at him, at him loved him. Loved him. His heart was moved in love for someone else. That's a unique human attribute. I, th I think, you know, certain pets might love you, maybe. I don't know. Is that is a, something like that? But th they do. But, but there's a difference of expression, right? Only humans write love songs and poems and send love letters and 
and do all those things. And Jesus would have felt love, compassion. He would have felt that brotherly love. He would have felt that love for, you know, uh, that unconditional love that so often I struggle with, unconditional kind of love. Here Jesus looks out, he sees that. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. Jesus is moved by compassion of this young, rich young ruler, and, and yet, and he loved him. Yet we know the decision was not a good one for the man. Um, Matthew 9.36. He had compassion. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Wow. There's something uniquely human about having compassion on others. And I say that because, again, I think that's where we are divided out. If you just want to lump humans as a species of animal, we aren't, but we are God's part of unique creation. I would say that, again, we are capable of compassion on total strangers. People that indeed may not even ever give any compassion back to us. That's the Christian message, and where we learn that is through Jesus. And ultimately, empowered by him as well in that. I was thinking of that because there's, there's images in this last week that have flashed on the news over the terrorist incidents that occurred in in Israel and there's pictures, of course everything's on social media now and you know, pictures of, of people being led away as captives, kidnapped and tormented and, and awful things that have risen and there's certain images that are just etched in my mind. And I honestly first time and even now I think about it, my tears well up in my eyes when I think of like that woman who was taken away from her husband and she's reaching for him and they take her away on a motorcycle and she's screaming for her husband and she's probably some tunnel in Gaza tonight if she's still alive and I can only imagine what she might have gone through in the last week if she's still alive and then I think she doesn't know the Lord she may not even be in a better place she'd be in a worse place And if that doesn't move you, and doesn't move me, we, we aren't human. <laughs> Jesus looked at the multitudes and he, he wept at times. He had compassion. And, and I won't go through all the verses, but the, he, he was angered at times. He was grieved. He wept. The, the shortest verse in the Bible, right? John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. And then in Luke 19, now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. He wept over it. That great city of Jerusalem. And Jesus cries. And, and, and again, you can't do that unless you're human. God knows what it's like to have his heart broken. He experienced joy. And I'm glad for that. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, he could look beyond the cross and see the joy that it would bring. Amen for that. 
Luke 9, uh, 10, 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. In his prayer there to the Father. And he has joy. Oh, that's great. He was troubled. Mark 14, he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Troubled. And that's what that word, trouble and deeply distressed, it's like a further description of what kind of trouble. Have you ever been distressed over something? Something really just grips your heart, and now you're really bothered by it? You ever hear something like, you know, you hear somebody scream, and you know it wasn't just like, a little scream of joy or something, but a, a, a scream that is something bad is happening and you're troubled. Here on the backdrop of this is the impending suffering and death of Jesus. And, and he's troubled. Verse 34, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. Stay here and watch. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he, was groaned, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Again, here's the account in this, this part of Jesus' life and, and somebody has just died again. And they're troubled. He's troubled. And it ought to trouble us. John 12, 27. My soul is troubled. Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. He knew. Right? He sweat drops of blood. (laughs) So you have to have flesh and blood to be able to sweat drops of blood, right? And um, I have... uh, This is just another one of those verses with that. But this is uh, Luke 22, verse 44. And being in agony... He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And and, and no doubt there's this physiology that's going on there where as he's praying and he's in such turmoil and, and distress that his capillaries are bursting just under the skin. And, and he's, he's losing blood in his sweat. I mean, that's what Dr. Luke says Luke was a medical doctor he took note of that so when it says being in agony Luke adds that a little detail that the other gospel writers don't because he knew how much agony Jesus must be experiencing because that's a very rare thing for someone to sweat blood 1 Peter 4 1 he suffered therefore since Christ suffered for us in the flesh there it is again in the flesh Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And what Peter is teaching there isn't that we become sinlessly perfect in this life. Sin no longer has dominion over a dead man. And when your mind is is such that you realize that the worst thing people can do is make me suffer, like on a cross. Jesus had told Peter he was going to die that way. 
He told him that somebody was going to take him where he didn't want to go and stretch out his arms, and that's how he was going to die. And in the backdrop of Peter's life from that time he was recommissioned on, that always had to be there. And I often wonder how many times Peter was imprisoned or got in trouble with authorities, and he's wondering, I wonder if this is the time that I'm going to end up on the cross. Eventually he would. Eventually he would be crucified. But the mindset of knowing the what is beyond that, the same mindset of Christ and, and the obedience uh, that's understood in the flesh causes us to not be concerned with so many things that draw us away from sin. I, I think that's really what he's teaching in. <clears throat> John 19.34, he bled, right? One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Matthew twenty seven fifty, he died. You know the question. I remember, remember a Jehovah, Jehovah's Witness who came to my door one time, and we were having this discussion about who Jesus was, and I went right to the heart of the matter because they don't believe he's God. They believe he's a created being, God's first created being, a special angel. I'll even tell you, if they're honest with you, he's Michael, the archangel incarnate. Um, those are all beliefs, and it's Gnosticism is what it is. It's a heresy came from the first century. And I remember saying to this man, we were talking about the deity of Christ, and he said, can God die? And he was being kind of proud about it, like he was trying to, like he got me, you know, like Think about it. Could God die? And he even went on to say, who would be in control of everything? And he has a point, right? And I said to him, God in the flesh could die. But also, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that you cease to exist at death. Uh, that's an easier way than thinking you might go off into a eternity in hell. And they teach that to some extent. And I said, but he didn't cease to exist. The Bible says he gave up his spirit. And I said, when we die, we're going to give up our spirit. And our spirit is going to go to one of two places. Our soul and our spirit, our non-material parts, that part that isn't human, is going to go off into hell, or it's going to go off into the glorious paradise of heaven. Those are the two roads. And what you do with Jesus Christ and understand about him now determines that destiny. And I remember talking and having that conversation with that man. And I said, that's, that's a big thing. I said, if he didn't put on flesh, he couldn't be our savior. And I don't know, it didn't change his mind that day and all that. But I stand by that to this day. I will say that you have to have a savior who could put on flesh, who would have to die to have victory over death. And that's how God did that. Jesus cried out, again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit i can't i've been there present with people who have died sometimes people go off very seemingly peacefully sometimes they go off with a a last word or a groan or sometimes saying something and then dying Um, but here jesus with a loud voice yields up his spirit and he died 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you, first of all, 
that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then lastly, point 25, after death, his body was buried. You can't bury a spirit, all right? You can't bury an apparition. You can only bury a body. And you can only bury a human who has a body, right? I mean, that's it. And that's what the Bible says. When Joseph had taken the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, right? And laid it in, in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. He was fully human. Amen? Amen. God, we thank you. Thank you for 